Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. Uh, What a beautiful day out there. But we're going to ask you to take the outdoors indoors these next couple days. I'll be appearing, I have been appearing, and will be the next two days at the International Sportsman's Exposition down at the Denver Convention Center. I'll be headed down there after I do the show. Karen is already down there getting ready for the show to open. So Kyle and I are flying without a net today, but I'm sure we'll get a text or two, Kyle. She'll be listening and keeping track of us. Um, But we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk a lot about what's going on at the show, but we're going to cover some other things, too. And we got a lot of ground to cover, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, I still have a few tickets left to get into the International Sportsman's Exposition. And if you pay attention, you might find those tickets in your name and will call by the time you get there. So we got a lot of ground to cover, but let's go right to the phones now. And joining us, one of the exhibitors from the International Sportsman's Show, Exposition, a very good friend, and uh, uh, he's he's got a lodge in Alaska. He lives in Utah. He's um, I've been up to his place many times. That's Ralph Crystal from Gone Fishing Lodge. Good morning, Ralph. Good morning, Terry. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, and it's a beautiful day. There shouldn't be any traffic issues. People getting out, and you know, over the last couple of weeks, Ralph, we've talked a lot on the show about the demos we're doing at the tank, and I'll talk more about those later. We're doing, you know, we're doing a lot of fishing demos and hunting demos, and we have experts there to talk about and put on seminars about all aspects of the outdoors, fishing, hunting, camping, and parks. We'll talk about some of that. But another big part of the show are the guides and lodges that are, are there and the, the trips people can book. And it's a great time to kind of peruse the different opportunities. Now, I've been to your place many times. In fact, I think we did four or five television shows with you that are on, on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. But people can walk in and get a little overwhelmed, Ralph. And I thought maybe we could give them a few pointers. Now, when you're walking in, what are some of the... What should you be having in your mind when you're walking in? I mean, should you know your budget? What you what are the kind of things that questions people need to have answered? Oh, exactly. You know, and and you're you're uh, correct. Coming down the show, you get to talk to these people face to face and ask all your questions, get their information. But really, if if you've got a destination in mind, you know, uh, fishing, hunting, something like that, then you can pinpoint it. And they have these uh, show uh, manuals here that tell you where everybody's located. And so you can go right to the people you want to talk to, get the information. Uh, and then you might you might want to, I think you mentioned budget. Budget's a big, uh, a big deal, too. How much are you willing to spend? I mean, how much amenities do you want? Do you want to, like on hunting trips, you know, I looked at some that were guided that are a lot more expensive than if you go self-guided, but there's pros and cons to to all of that with the hunting and the fishing, don't you think, Terry? Oh, I, I agree completely. And and a lot of these trips, you want, you know, it, there's certain trips you can take self-guided. But I'm a big believer the first time you go to new territory, whether you're hunting or fishing, that you're not going to have the time to scout the water, scout the land, <laughs> to understand what's going on. At least go where someone can point you in the right direction or kind of set you up, wouldn't you think? Well, exactly, and and I I consider that kind of more high impact fishing. It may cost you a little bit more money, but it's very well worth it. And and for instance, in our area, we're on the Kenai Peninsula, and we're located on the Kenai River. But we have we're surrounded by salt water, so we have saltwater fishing. 
We've got rivers running out. We've got freshwater fishing. We're using flow planes to get in to the backcountry. I don't think you could do your first trip. I mean, you could do your first trip on your own, but there's different regulations on all the waters. There's different size, you know, the different size hooks, uh, you know, and, and accessibility and, and people have property and stuff. And so going guided at least the first time would be well worth it. Well, you know, and I want to get to some of the things you offer and, and not the exact cost, but the range of budgets that people can go in with. But before we do that, you offer a myriad of trips and uh, a, a different ways to do it. You have so many different packages. A lot of people don't do that. But when somebody's coming down there, you kind of got to know, first, we talked about budget, but kind of the time of the year you want to go or if, you, or if you're flexible, that's a big deal, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, uh, yeah, the time of the time of the year is good. Uh huh. To know, and and there might be, but you want to talk to people like you and I've talked about this many times. What seems like the most alluring time isn't always the best time to go and talk about alternatives. Sometimes you have a better trip, or you'll even save a little money. And then think about you know how do you want to get there? How many days you want to spend? How many people you know you're taking with you? And then you got to understand the range of accommodations, like. Uh, if you're flying off in the backcountry for a, and you're going to stay for a while, there you know it's different than if you're staying right on the Kenai Peninsula. Like if you stay at your place, there's restaurants right there. Yes, there is, and you do have accessibility accessibility to that in our place. Where other places in Alaska, when you go into those places, they fly you in and you're there for the week, and so they do all the accommodations, all the meals, and and that's because they they have to in order to uh, provide their services there. Now on ours. Um, we don't provide all the meals. We do do a breakfast bar at our place, but there's a town and there's grocery stores. It's a small town, but uh, you have accessibility to all that stuff, and and uh, you can eat out every day. You can cook at our place, and, and uh, but there are places in our area that offer all full meal packages, you know, and stuff. And so uh, you're right. There's a there's a few variables to consider. The time of the of the season that you want to go, uh, like in my area, we've got uh, all the species of salmon. We've got halibut and rockfish and lingcod and stuff. What do you want to target? What fish do you want to cross off your bucket list? You know, do you want to catch a king? Well, if you want to catch a king, you got to be there a certain time of the summer because they close it July 31st. If you if you want to catch the big rainbows that you like, you really like, you can get them throughout the summer. But the best time is actually in August, and that's where coming down to this show you can get the information and, and become well-versed in, in what you're trying to accomplish, uh, looking at budgets, talking to people and stuff. It's very, very helpful at these shows. Well, I've fished virtually all over Alaska. I think I, last time I counted, I've done, I think, 16 or 17 television shows in Alaska. And I'm a firm believer that the Kenai Peninsula is an incredible place to start. Now, people, they hear the stories about it being crowded and things, but there's a myriad of things to do, and depends on where you go. But it's it's fairly easy to get to the Kenai Peninsula, and it's not as expensive, and you can really do just about anything you want. So most of the people, I assume, that come to your lodge, they fly into Anchorage, they rent a car, and they take that drive down with the Cook Inlet, which is just a beautiful drive. Is that is that how they usually get to- Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and the Kenai Peninsula, uh, just to back up what you said, is, is the most populated area from Anchorage down south, a little bit north of Anchorage and down uh, through the peninsula. That's, that's where it's the most uh, habitable for people to live. And so 
Um, there are a few more people that live there, and there's a good there's a road that goes down there, like you said. There's only one road, and that's a, that's good because you can get down there, and it's bad because everybody can get down there if they want. But <laughs> you know, when the fish when the fish are there, the people are coming out fishing, and a lot of people from Anchorage go down to the Kenai Peninsula, and a, a few, even people from Fairbanks and uh, you know a little bit south of Fairbanks and uh, north of Anchorage. They come down to the Kenai Peninsula for their summer vacations because that's where the action is for Alaskans. And so, but it also draws a lot of tourism because of the great fishing. So, um, you you do have a myriad of things that you can fish for, and that is one of the things that separates us from a lot of places in Alaska and our lodge from different places, even in the peninsula, is that we offer a wide variety of trips. We even do sightseeing tours for. Uh, glaciers and whales and and sea lions and stuff like that so there's a lot of stuff you can do let's talk about a little bit of the fishing options there and you know you and i have had this discussion before that so many people think about the big king salmon and coming down in june when the big kings are running kenai is famous for having the biggest king salmon in the world and that's an exciting trip and you can arrange different ways of doing that but to tell you the truth, and we'll get to it in a minute, you know, king salmon fishing can be a long, frustrating time on the water because you're not going to get a lot of hookups. And even if you hook that big fish up, you may not land it. So if you just want to target giant fish, that's fine. But if you want action, maybe the king salmon isn't the time to come. Correct. And, and when I have guys that really want to catch kings, I have, to, I have to let them know. I says, well, you're trophy fishing here. And it's going to be 50-50 anywhere you go fishing. But when you do hook into a king, like you said, it's going to be generally a pretty good king. They average 30 to 50 pounds on the Kenai River, and they average, oh, 10 to 30 pounds on the Kasilas. And so when you do hook them, it's a great fight. When you land them, it's a great trophy. It really is. And that's what brought me to Alaska. I'm actually from Utah originally. But um, there's other types of fishing where uh, you can catch multiple numbers of fish for your limits, uh, there's more action. Uh, you can use, uh, like on the silver salmon in July and August, you can use flies and spinners. We use bait. Uh, there's sockeye salmon. You know, we, they're running past our lodge through June and July and into August, third week of August. And so the saltwater fishing is great. There's some people I have that just want to go out in the saltwater and, and try to get halibut. And, and we get pretty good-sized halibut out there. So um, just a lot of stuff you can do. You're right. Well, and my favorite time, and you and I have talked about this many times, is that August time frame because you have the silvers running. Uh, on, on even years, you have the pinks running up there, which are just so much fun. The action is just crazy. And then you, you also have those big dollies and trout that come out. I think that, well, I'm going to tell you a story, folks. We were, we, there's a, a float that's one of my favorite trips that, it's down the upper Kenai or middle Kenai. I can't remember. It's a float there. It's the upper Kenai. Yeah, yeah. the upper. We float that, and um, and that's not crowded because only so many boats can do that at a time, and Ralph can set that up for you. But you drift down there, and you can fish fly rods or conventional rods. And one of the guys in our boat hooked a rainbow. We know it was a rainbow because we saw it up close to the boat. And then it stripped off his entire fly line going upstream it had to be a 20 pound rainbow ralph you know what and they're in that river because uh that's a trophy rainbow fishery where we catch and release everything we catch photograph and release every fish we catch so they'll get bigger and you're correct in august is when they get the biggest because they're starting to fatten up on the salmon eggs uh these salmon have been running up the river all summer and they start spawning in early to mid-august 
And these fish are trying to fatten up just like a bear does for the winter. And uh, that was a big fish. And uh, I was starting to smile a little bit because we're still talking about it. Yeah. And we, and, and <laughs> the we, one that got away. You yeah. Know I mean? But that doesn't mean we didn't catch a number of fish. And by the way, folks, if you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, um, there's about five different shows with Ralph's Lodge there that that you can look at. The other reason I like coming up in August, Ralph, and you mentioned it, is the silver salmon. Um, that silver salmon aren't going to get as big as the kings, but you're still talking 10 to 15 pound fish on a, re- on yeah, a regular basis. And a, and a tremendous sport fish for a guy that wants to use a fly rod, a spinning rod. Uh, that's when we get a lot of our fly fishermen coming up there for the trout, for the silver. So, yeah, you're right. And in, in addition, you're going to get a lot of action typically with the silvers, unlike the kings, where you might get one or two or three bites a day and hope you land that big fish. You're going to get lots of opportunities. The only thing, Ralph, is don't fish with Karen because she catches the bigger fish, and she's kind of a hog about it. Gosh, she caught, those, ones, she must, those must have been 18 pounds, those ones she caught. She's got one. I've got her picture hanging up in our booth down there. Uh big smile because she knows she kicked your rear end on it well she always does that so that's not a big deal but you know what that is and you can catch those silvers right almost uh, almost right out of your lodge but right right there with a but then you do a fly out trip over to big uh, big river i think it's called we've got a couple places we fly into it's called big river lake Uh, and there's a river that runs out of it into the ocean that's how these salmon get back up in it and uh, it's really a, a beautifully, uh, well, a beautiful place over there. And, uh, you know, we'll go fishing for There's a number of places we can fish. And then afterwards, if the weather's good, our pilot's kind enough to do a little flight seeing with us because Alaska's pretty hard to see. You can only see what you can see from the boat, from a road, or from the air. And uh, when you get up in this place, there's no roads over where the plane flies in. And sometimes we fly right over the top of glaciers. And a lot of times, and I think we were there, when we were there, didn't the bears come down oh, when we were two, fishing right by two, us? Two different times. We were, um, we did two shows there, one where I fished a fly rod, and another time I flew out and fished conventional. Now, when we fished conventional, I caught a, we caught a ton of big silvers back there, and the bears were roaming the shoreline. Then we went back another year, I think it was, and we went with the fly rods. And I was catching a few silvers, but I was catching a lot of pinks and just having a blast. And we had the bears come out in the water. I had a bear come within a fly rod's length of the boat. And Karen had the black bears and the grizzlies fighting each other and jumping off the rocks. But you can do it from the safety of the boat. I think it's better than watching the bears at Brooks. I really do. Uh, you know, I've never been to Brooks. I would like to do that one day, but um, it is spectacular bear viewing. And the reason why it's so good is because these bears are coming down to uh, feed on the same salmon that we're trying to catch also. And it's a great place for sows to raise their cubs. I've taken pictures with uh, sows that have two cubs or three cubs. And last year there was one that had four cubs at the beginning of the year. And so it's a pretty incredible place over there. Now, Ralph, we're going to have to let you go here in a minute, but we didn't spend hardly any time on the salt water. But you you do salt water both in the Cook Inlet and out of uh, Resurrection Bay, out of uh, Seward, I Gulf believe. Gulf of Alaska, yeah, yeah, Gulf of Alaska over the Seward. Yeah, and you guys, uh, you can do. Um, there's lingcod, there's halibut, there's salmon running at times. The ocean runs salmon at times, so you can do a myriad of trips. You can set those all up. What your lodge is very unique in the fact that people can come there. 
They don't have to break the bank to stay at your place. And then you can arrange whatever trips for how many people they want to go on the trips. And everybody doesn't have to go on every trip. And maybe somebody wants to go sightseeing one day or just take a a rod and reel down to the river. And you can do that, too. So before we let you go, Ralph, tell them how they find you at the show. Well, we're we're down on aisle 2400, and I'm right on the corner, 2423. And we've got DVDs. In fact, uh, his wife, Karen, was the videographer on one of the DVDs we have. And it's a very authoritative, shows you great uh, footage of the things that you can do with us. We've got brochures and, and uh, you can ask us questions and stuff. We'd love to have you up at our place. It's a, it's a great place to go fishing. And it's the Gone Fishing Lodge, folks. Gone Fishing Lodge in Soldotna, Alaska. And if you can't remember that, stop by the aquarium demo tank. Karen and I will be there all day today and tomorrow, and we'll point you in the right direction. Ralph, thanks for joining us. We'll let you get to the show, and we'll see you in a couple hours. Okay. Thank you, Terry. All right. That's Ralph Crystal. Great people, great place to stay, and a great way to set up a a trip that's fairly economical, and really you can do just about anything you want. We'll take a time out. We come back. Parks and Wildlife will join us right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We've been talking about the ISE show. We're going to change things up in a minute. But before I do that, you heard us just talking to a Ralph Crystal from the Gone Fishing Lodge in Alaska. And to the first person that texts 303-713-1043, the name of the famous peninsula that Ralph's Lodge is located on, I have a pair of... Uh, Tickets to the International Sportsman's Exposition. We'll put them in will call for you. So what's the famous peninsula in Alaska that Ralph's Gone Fishing Lodge is located on? Now let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Kristen Cannon. And Kristen, you're not eligible. So <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. I was using my other phone. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. You know, you want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, and that's ethical uh, interaction with animals. We talk about just watching, but watching, feeding. And as the population in Colorado grows, and we get more, and, and it's a huge outdoor state. Let's face it, people move here because of the outdoors, and they move and they live and work in the outdoors more even, and they certainly recreate. And as we do that, we get more interaction with animals. And people love that. It's part of, you know, the wildlife or part of the state. But you have to really consider some things when you are doing that, don't you? You do. Um, you know, we we encourage people all the time that, you know, coexist with the wildlife that they recreate around and that they live around. And, and part of coexisting with that wildlife is respecting them as wild animals and and respecting their space and uh, and not feeding them. Well, you know, when you said space, you know, I, I'm, I'm an outdoor guy and I come downtown to the, the – um, the, the International Sportsman Show where I'm appearing this weekend. And I get on the, the 16th Street shuttle to go and get something to eat and all that. And I get a little, you know, people get crowded into those things. I'm a little like, boy, you know, I, I like some personal space. And animals are no different. They have a comfort zone. And if you've been a hunter or a wildlife watcher, you start to understand what that comfort zone is. And violating that comfort zone or getting too close can not only be dangerous for you, but can be very detrimental to the animals also, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. So an animal that's got some tolerance of people and and will let you take a picture of it from a good distance, you know, everything's got its bubble. 
and should you get inside that bubble, that animal is going to react. And sometimes in unpredictable ways, and that animal can defend itself and become aggressive and, and injure you. And that animal can also run away and and end up spending calories or putting itself at, at risk that, you know, it, it doesn't have. And, and when animals injure people, a lot of times the animals are the ones that, that lose out because we, we want to keep people safe, even if they're not making the right decisions. And so, um, you know, how, given animals, those space is, or that space is, is crucial to keeping everybody safe, both animals and people alike. Let's go through some different scenarios. Right now, wintertime, and even though it's beautiful down here, we have had a fair amount of snow up in the mountains. Um, we've got uh, substantial elk herds and deer herds up there. And people will look at those, and they, they kind of group up, and they go to wintering ranges. But it's it's typical for those animals to lose a huge amount of their weight during the year. But we don't want to put on due stress. I mean, we talked last week about not doing shed hunting this time of the year. But any activity in those wintering grounds can really be disruptive, can't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, winter is a tough time for wildlife. And any time that they're having to move around unnecessarily or react or respond to people or or even our pets, um, it really puts them at a disadvantage for surviving the winter. um, They're they're relying on the, the fat stores that they've accumulated over the fall and the summer and and uh, any 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 calorie or every calorie counts for them, and so uh, you know they they tend to stay together in that spot, and we want to leave them there and leave them to to have the best chance to make it, and um, without much harassment or movement or, or any kind of yeah. disturbance like that. Like if you're hiking or snowmobiling or those type of activities, and you see a a herd of animals in their winter range. Try to avoid them. Stay a distance. You mentioned something there that really is a, a point that I like to bring up, and that's dogs. I love dogs. I'm a dog person. We've owned dogs most of my life. But they don't belong out near these animals when they're wintering because their natu- natural instincts are going to be to you know, to alert to the animals, to try to maybe, if they're loose, go chase them, or even if they just bark at them when you're going by. And that's going to cause movement, and it can really stress them. So, you know, leave the pets at home this time of the year or go in an area that doesn't have a wildlife gathering. Yeah, yeah, or even around your homes. Just be cognizant of if you live in a rural area with bigger lots, you know, don't allow your dogs to roam free because they'll end up chasing deer or other animals that just really don't have the the, the energy to expend running away from a big, healthy dog that gets dog food and gets to live inside and has a lot more energy than they do. And, and we'll talk more about other scenarios, too. But that brings up the feeding thing, too, with big game. You know, some big game is going to die during the winter. That's nature's way of culling the herd a little bit and keeping it right for the habitat and getting rid of keeping disease down. But people sometimes will see these animals and their weight loss, and they think, oh, they're not making the winter, and try to feed them. That's about the worst thing you can do, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's several reasons why feeding wildlife is bad, and, and one of them is just that, you know, we want these populations to, the, the natural environment, to be able to support them. And uh, if we're supplementing their food, um, we can see a, a, the population grow bigger than what the natural area can support. And we've seen that with turkeys and we've seen that, you know, even with bears. So um, it's really important that people just, you know, animals are adapted to making it through the winter and uh, or, or throughout the year and just allow them to find their natural food source. And, and they don't they don't need the help. And in fact, the help can be kind of harmful. 
Well, you're absolutely right. First of all, it's illegal to feed big game in Colorado, and you can get in trouble for it. Second of all, you're probably not going to feed them something that's good for their system. And then if you unnaturally gather them, you expose them to disease, right? Yeah, that's right. If, you know, most of the time natural uh, uh, individuals of wildlife, they're they're spread out throughout the landscape. And if you're feeding animals, then they're all going to come together and they're going to put their faces and their noses against each other. And it it just really provides a a good opportunity for disease to spread. And in the winter, they're much more susceptible to disease. And so um, that's, that's one of the reasons that feeding wildlife can be so detrimental. Well, and if you feed wildlife around your home, whether it's deer or even small game, you have a tendency to bring some predators around too, right? Right. Yeah. You got to consider that um, if, you know, again, wildlife is going to pass through most people's yards and properties naturally throughout the course of the year. And if you're feeding them, you're inviting them to stay and you're inviting more uh, wildlife to come. And and if you've got raccoons in your yard, you're going to have coyotes or mountain lions in your yard, too. And and so if you don't want those predators to be around your home, um, then you probably want their prey source to uh, to not be around either. That's exactly right. we got a couple minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about just interaction, whether it's around your home or whether you're out in the trail or whatever. You know, we want you to enjoy looking at these animals and take your pictures, but stay a safe distance. And one of the things that I really just shudder at is when I people I see people trying to get close to take a selfie. I mean, some of these animals are dangerous. Not only are you putting yourself in danger, but then a lot of times you guys end up having to euthanize the animal. Yeah, as we said before, so if you're close enough to get a selfie, you're probably too close. Um, and we're we're always telling people that, you know, monitor that animal's behavior. And if it changes as a result of your presence, then you're too close. But those selfies are, are killer because, again, you don't know how an animal's going to respond until you're too close. And a lot of times, especially with animals like moose, um, they respond aggressively. And when we've got an aggressive animal, you know, that really puts us in a bad spot of wanting to protect people regardless of their bad decisions. Uh, and, and so sometimes that ends uh, in, a, in a bad spot for the animal. And so keeping their distance is uh, keeping your distance and not, not taking those selfies, but rather using long lenses and binoculars and maybe just enjoying uh, viewing wildlife without taking pictures is really uh, critical for, for everyone's safety. When you mentioned moose, and I've got we've got to move on, but... Moose look like a big lumbering animal, but trust me, they're probably the most dangerous animal in Colorado. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, absolutely. Their their instinct when they feel threatened is to become aggressive. And so that, that makes for some dangerous encounters. And even though they look calm and docile, uh, if you get too close, they they are they they change pretty quick. Yes, they do. Now, I I believe there's quite a bit of information on animal interaction on the Parks and Wildlife website. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. We've got all sorts of living with wildlife pages, everything from coyotes to raccoons to bears to mountain lions. You bet. And take a look at that, folks. Enjoy the wildlife in Colorado. Just do it in the right way. Uh, You know, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, hopefully you have a great weekend, the rest of the weekend. Yeah, yeah, you too. Thanks, Terry. All right. That's uh, Kristen from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We'll take a quick time out. We come back. We're going to talk about a program for youth that's going on one of the parks for, for teens that really can help them get involved and enjoy the outdoors on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.
You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Uh, a lot of what goes on in this radio show is previewed there, and a lot of what happens here, we put up links in case you miss some of it to podcasts and things. So always follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from uh, Cheyenne State Park, um, Cheyenne Mountain State Park, is Jeanette. Good morning, Jeanette. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. I'll bet you it's a beautiful sunny day down there. It's like it is up here, isn't it? It is. We had a little bit of snow covering this morning, but the sun's coming out pretty strong now. Well, you know, for we're going to talk about a program for teenagers, but before we get to that, why don't you tell people where Cheyenne Mountain Park is located, and let's talk a little bit about it. Yeah, the state park is on the southwest side of Colorado Springs. We're actually right across from Fort Carson, um, so kind of metro, but yet at the same time, once you're in the park, you really feel like you can get on a good trail, see the wilderness. Uh, that's a really nice protected area. And that's one of the major draws of the of Cheyenne Mountain Park is the trails and the wildlife and things, isn't it? Absolutely. So we have about 28 miles of trails with a, a new trail that actually accesses the top of Cheyenne Mountain. So you kind of get a little bit of a summit opportunity there. Yeah, the only park that's on top of a NORAD base, I think, too. So that's that's always unique, <laughs> right? <laughs> People see it yes, in the sir. movie. They see those big doors in the movies and stuff. But you also have camping there, am I right? Yes, we have year-round camping. We do have full-service hookups that, you know, we do keep operational through the winter months. Um, so, yeah, when the weather's nice, our campground still stays pretty busy. Well, you know, what I've been seeing uh, out lately is uh, the last several years, and I've talked to many of the parks people about this, is people don't want to stay indoors in the winter in Colorado. We get enough really nice weather, and they want to go out snowshoeing or cross-country skiing or hiking or wildlife viewing or camping. It We're seeing more and more winter activity, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. If the weather's nice, anything above 40 degrees, if the sun is shining, we definitely still have you know, lots of trail users, lots of people coming out. Um, it, they want to be outside. I mean, I think that's why a lot of us, move, you know, either move to Colorado, stay in Colorado. That's what we're here for is that sunshine. Oh, you're absolutely right. Now, you're, you've got a couple, you've got a program coming up, and there's a couple versions of it we're going to talk about. And you and I talked earlier, and, you know, we see, we're starting to see a lot of programs for the youth, the very young, you know, the younger children with their parents. And we see classes for adults, too. But the two things that keep people from enjoying the outdoors more are, number one is access, and, of course, Colorado State Parks provides that access. But the other is a little bit of knowledge to get started. So you're starting some programs, and you're kind of aiming, I think, at that maybe 12- to 17-year-old group. You know, They're going through a lot of changes in their life, trying to figure out where they fit in. They're not kids anymore, but are they're not quite considered adults. And you're really taking aim to put some programs out for that age group, aren't you? That is absolutely correct. We just saw, you know, we have lots of programs for for the young kids, family fun events, you know, trying to get, you know, families outside. Then we have the programs. We have, you know, wildflower hikes, bird walks, things like that um, for the older group. And we just kind of felt like we were missing out on this teenage. And like you said, it's it's kind of a transitional age. They don't, you know, what are they doing? Let's keep them out of trouble. Let's give them an outlet. And again, you know, Lots of youth want to get into, you know, wildlife officer, park ranger. They're interested in this field, maybe don't know how to get started. And so we're kind of trying to target and give them an outlet here. 
Um, and so I have two upcoming programs that I'm hoping will do that. Well, on the first one, I'm looking at it here, and it says uh, winter hike preparedness. I think that is so awesome. In fact, later on in the second hour, we're actually going to have some survival experts on. But people too often, well, the news kind of perpetuates bad information. There's no mentor in their life maybe that's been an outdoor enthusiast to help them. And that preparedness class or being able to go onto the wilderness either on a hike or a camping trip, and if something happens where you get lost or injured, it becomes a nuisance rather than a tragedy. Tell me a little bit about that program and what you're trying to accomplish. And you're right. That's what we want to do is we want to help people be prepared, and specifically this teenage age is what this, you know, we're, we're targeting it to a 12 to 17-year-old's. And how getting out hiking in the winter is still a good possibility. You can still be safe, but to be prepared for the unexpected Colorado weather. You know, what kind of gear do you need to bring? What kind of clothes should you be wearing? Uh, And things like that, that we really want to get them prepared, feel comfortable, confident that now that maybe they're reaching, you know, they can drive themselves to go out hiking, you know, now that they're maybe out there alone or with some friends, because we would still, you know, encourage them to be with a buddy, um, but to be out there and still know, hey, the weather just changed. How do I prepare for this? How am I going to handle this? I, you know, got lost on the trail. How am I going to get out of this situation? And when is that program starting, that particular one on the outdoor preparedness? That's going to be Thursday, January 23rd at 6 p.m., and we are asking for participants to sign up, you know, just in case we have bad weather or something and we have to cancel. Um, we want to be prepared for that, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So it's that's Thursday. And is information on the uh, Facebook or website for Cheyenne Park about? It's, it's, yes, it's on both. So it would be on our Facebook page, Cheyenne Mountain State Park. Um, and also, if you just do a web search for Cheyenne Mountain State Park, it'll be on our homepage. All right, so that's outdoor survival and preparedness for hiking. That sounds like a tr- you know to me that that everybody in Colorado should have to take a course like that because we tend to take for granted it's so nice down here. We head up and things can change. You get in trouble in a hurry, and a few simple things can just make it so much safer and so much more fun. Uh, and then you're having another one in March on telemetry and tracking. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we're going to have our local wildlife officer come in and actually demonstrate the equipment um, for radio collaring, how they use, uh, you know, telemetry to track the animals, use that for their research. And we're actually, and again, weather dependent, we're hoping to get out in the field where they can actually, you know, do a hands-on exercise to see how that equipment is used. So again, we're hoping to target um, this age group that if they're interested in this field, you know, maybe want to do this themselves, that that's, you know, the career path they might be looking for. This is an opportunity to actually see some of the, you know, equipment and how it's used in action. Well, you know, both of these programs sound fantastic and interesting. And I think there are things that maybe that age group will kind of gravitate to because, you know, they're, uh, everybody likes to think they're an outdoor person once they get out there. They want to think that they're, you know, that they have the 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 wherewithal and the skills. And uh, the tracking one would be just fun. I can I've I've been involved in some parks and wildlife te- telemetry programs, and what you learn about animal behavior is just astonishing. But the one of preparedness, you know, and like I said, we're going to talk more about that in the second hour too, but simple things like don't wear a cotton t-shirt or, you know, make sure you take the right, whatever you need for that day. Take a compass. So many times people today, 
They, they rely on the GPS on their phone and the battery goes dead. There's just so many little things. Number one, though, I think is tell somebody where you're going. Absolutely. And that's just part of leave no trace ethics, being prepared for what the situations might bring, having an extra layer, you know, like you said, don't wear cotton, you know, have a synthetic, um, something breathable, dress in layers, all of that great information. All right. I'm going to let you go. But once again, go to the Cheyenne Mountain State Park, either Facebook or Web page and get your youth, uh, get your get you get involved. You know, if you're between the 12 and 17 age group or in that target range, take a look at these programs, see if they interest you and, you know, get down there and participate. Get outdoors. I'll guarantee you that once you get outdoors and start experiencing it, you'll want to stay out there. Thank you so much, Jeanette. Thank you, Terry, for having me. All right. We'll we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. What a great program. We're going to take a quick time out and we come back. We're going to take you back out to the International Sportsman's Exposition and talk to some of our friends at Sun Power Sports on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and we're going to go right to the phones. And joining us from Sun Power Sports, usually we have Mark Kite, but I guess he was too important for us today. So Shane Mentor, the sales manager, is going to join us. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, Terry. Yeah, oh, I know Mark is bummed that uh, he couldn't get on here, but glad to be here with you. But it's always fun to take a shot at Mark. We love him, but you know we we don't mind taking a shot. He's he he's a great guy. I tell you what, what a voice for radio he has. Though he scares me when he comes on. He's going to get my job. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's one of his many talents. Hey, hey, Shane, um, you're down at the International Sportsman's Exposition. Of course, Sun Power Sports is the largest ATV and motorcycle deal in Colorado. One of the largest in the United States, I believe. But sometimes, you know, you're over in that 88th in Washington, 88th in Pearl area, and people are a little, sometimes maybe don't find you. A good way to get introduced to a sample of what you guys have would be to come by the ISE show, wouldn't it? Absolutely, Terry. Uh, we we actually brought so much product down this year, we, we ended up uh, getting a second booth here at the Sportsman's Expo, so we have tons of stuff for, for people to check out. So if I walk in, as soon as I walk in the door, you're right there. You're on the you're on both sides of the aisle. Tell me what I'm going to see and what kind of units you brought down there. Yeah, so this year, um, like every year, we, we we bring a ton of sale item ATVs. So we work out some some um, special deals with our manufacturers and um, get some special pricing for for all the international sportsmen's expo guests. Um, this year, more than ever, we've done a bunch of custom-built vehicles, um, you know, custom-built Polaris uh, Rangers and Can-Am Mavericks, and we've got the new Kawasaki Terex down there, and um, just some really, really neat product with um, lots of innovative part from those guys, parts from those guys. Well, I'll tell you, if somebody hasn't looked at the ATV and side-by-side market over the last three, four years, What's happened to these units and the way they look and the amenities that come with them and the choices you have are just unbelievable, aren't they? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we, we do Honda, Kawasaki, Polaris, and, and Can-Am ATVs. And, um, you know, it's kind of become a battle of, of arms with those guys. And it's it's really the consumer's benefiting. So you're getting better machines than ever for, for less and less money every year. And uh, this year's no exception. You know, we've got some fantastically priced ATVs down here for you guys to check out. Well, and the ATVs are so popular in Colorado. You can use them for trail riding in the summer. You can use them around 
around your uh, your house if you need wood to plow some snow. Um, we you know I've used them for ice fishing. We've gone ice fishing with you guys from Sun, uh, and hunter hunters can get up that final trail before they have to start walking. They're just really popular, but. I think something that's just blowing up in popularity lately has been the side-by-sides. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, K&M and Polaris have both come out with, um, you know, cab side-by-sides. They're almost like uh, almost truckish. They've got uh, they've got full cabs on them and heat and air conditioning. Um, you know, we can put tracks on them to get you into – some of those tricky ice fishing spots, you know, Jefferson Lake or some of those places to get into and, um, you know, take you places that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to get to uh, without them. Yeah, you've just got huge, huge inventory down there. And what you said, you know, and people people hear all the time that, oh, we've got show sale specials, and they think, oh, you, you mark something up and you marked it down. But that's not the case. What happens is, the reason that we have these big show seasons is this time of the year sales slow down for a lot of different manufactured goods. So we have these shows, and when you're at these shows, the manufacturers really do step up with sales because they want to move product, don't they? Absolutely. So um, we we we've uh, we've got some special support from from all of our OEMs, you know, Polaris and Can-Am, Honda and and Kawasaki and. And some special support down here for the show that allows us to to do pricing better than we can do all year for for uh, any of the international sportsman show customers. And um, you know, absolutely, this is our biggest sale of the year. So uh, not only in volume of what we sell, but as far as best deal for the customer and best time to buy an ATV, um, we brought it all down. So you'll be you'll be able to get with one of our sales professionals down there and. And they can kind of guide you in the right direction and, and show you what we've got and help you find the right machine. So so what's the process? I come down there and I see that tremendous amount of inventory as I walk down the aisle. So I work with you guys. I find one I want. We get uh, we get the paperwork all done. Then do I pick it up at the store after the show? How does that work? Yes, we make it really easy. Um, you know, we've got we've got financing available at the store. Um, basically, come down. We can point you in the right direction on a machine. Um, you know, see what we've still got available on, on the show specials today will definitely be a, a hot day where we'll, we will, um, go through a ton of the sales stuff that we have down there. So, you know, if you can come early, um, get down there, but, um, you know, we'll definitely have something for you. And, and basically we do a deposit down there, find the right machine. And then you can come by, you know, our showroom at, at 88th and Washington next, next week or, or so, and, uh, come pick up your machine and we can. Um, you know, put a plow or a winch or any of, you know, the hunting or fishing gear you might want on it, bumpers, any of that stuff, and um, get you all taken care of. Now, if I can't get down to the ISC show today, but I can get to your store, are some of the sales available there, too? Absolutely. So if you come by the store, I have uh, I have a bunch of stuff there. We will honor uh, any of the ISC deals at the store as well today. So, um, and all all. All of the product is is going to be on display down there at the store as well. So you can get the same ISE deal at our at our showroom today at eight eight seven seven North Washington Street. In and fo- yeah, and folks, if you can't get to the show, um, the best way to find Sun, we give the address all the time. But take I twenty five to eighty fourth Avenue, not eighty eighth, because there's no exit. 
Go east, but don't go all the way to Washington. Go to Pearl and just go north two, three blocks. Huge five-acre campus. They've got a, a trial track out there. You'll see the buildings and not only the ATVs and the imports, but they have a Harley building there. Just anything you could want on uh, between an ATV and a motorcycle is available. And I tell you what, when you get down to the, if you do get down to the show today, find Shane. And tell him he's the new radio star from Sun here. Is that okay, Shane? <laughs> that sounds great, Terry. And yeah, make- come on by. Did did you have a chance to see our our big lifted six inch lifted Ranger down there, the camo one on thirty fives down there? You know, I walked it's- by, but I didn't. I'm gonna have to go there and really take a look at it. Well, come on by today, Terry. I'll I'll be happy to show it to you and anybody else that wants to come check it out. It's it's um it's a one of a kind machine. It's really pretty sweet. Uh, well, and I'm you know my booth. By the way, folks, when you get down to the show, we got the demo tank set up, um, and that's where I spend most of my time. We're introducing the seminar speakers, but we're right. You guys have got a bunch of your stuff set right across the hall from us. So come down and say hi, and then you can browse some more with the sun stuff. Shane, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Terry. I look forward to seeing you down there today. All right, we'll see you in just a little bit. That's uh, Shane Mentor from Sun Power Sports. Uh, they've been, a, you know, talk about partners to this show. Sun Power Sports has been a partner to my TV and radio show for, oh, I would say probably, well, I think around uh, 2001 or 2000. Uh, and it's been going on 20 years, and they've been part of our TV and our radio show. Now, uh, speaking of that, I want to make a quick note. I mentioned earlier you should follow us on Facebook at um, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. A lot of what we do on this show, we're going to preview. Like I, I did a little piece with Jimmy Houston last night at the tank. You would have known that if you would have followed us on Facebook. We would have told you he's going to be there and talked about him and I doing an appearance together. And what a great guy. We just had a blast. He is truly. By the way, Jimmy is down at the show today and tomorrow yet. We had. People like Steve Panaz stop by, you know, from Lake Commandos. And, of course, when you come by the show, you'll see Chad Lachance and you'll see uh, Dan Swanson. And our next guest coming up, Nate Zolinski, is going to talk a lot about that. And, of course, Nate and I will be participating in a walleye panel tomorrow. I'm sure Today, I mean, we'll talk about that. But there's a lot going on. But so follow me on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. But then go to our YouTube channel. You know, I get a, I'm get i getting a lot of response that people love our YouTube channel. We did two television shows, 22 seasons. And Mountain States Fishing and Angling Adventures, well, a huge part of Mountain States Fishing was filmed right in this our backyard here. And a lot of it's good tips and good locations that are still good information right now that you can use. We'll take a quick time out. We come back. Nick Zielinski will join us, and we'll talk more fishing and more IC on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.